This podcast is not safe for work and will feature movie spoilers. It will feature scenes described of a graphic nature. It will contain language which most listeners may find offensive. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is episode 408. I'm your host Duncan McLeish. Welcome to the show. Up on this episode, we're continuing our Hannibal Lecter Russian Roulette franchise retrospective. This is the penultimate one in the series of five. And of course, we're looking at the remake. It's time to get down and dirty with Mr. Red Dragon. Joining me on this episode will be the phenomenal Doug Tilly. And uh, weird sadist that he was, this was the one he was gunning for, and the fates gave him what he wanted. I mean, he could ask for like a million dollars, or, you know, I, I don't know, a million dollars. But no, 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 he asked for the Red Dragon. So that discussion is coming up after the first break. Now, we are in a busy week for Podcasts Under the Stairs. This is essentially your last week before Halloween. In fact, before the end of Bazoween and as a result we are giving you an episode every single fucking day this week. Yesterday it kicked us off with Bazoween episode 4 where we sat down and looked at the whaling and of course took a bit of time to do Phantasm number 4 Oblivion. Today is your Hannibal Lecter episode. Tomorrow, you're getting the next instalment of our 31 of October. It's movies 19 through 24. On Thursday, it's Movie Club with listener reviews. That's right, coming in with Night of the Hunter. And then on Friday, I'll be reviewing a screener for an upcoming movie. It's the Benson Muirhead Affair when we do something in the dark. On Saturday, it's another 31 of October. It's movies 25 through 28. A lot to discuss there, ladies and gents. And then, if all that wasn't enough, we are then going to be giving you on Sunday, 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 the finale of our Hannibal Lecter series, looking at Hannibal Rising, my guest being Darren Wilson. Before we swing into Halloween itself, where we do Bazoween episode number five, with Luz, the Flower of Evil, and Phantasm 5 Ravenger. So that is your lineup basically for the next week. It is getting fucking shifty. Um, on the Teapots Collective, I always seem to miss the deadline on this one. Tonight, you'll be getting where to begin with. Well, we're going to be looking at Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and your reviews of Blood Simple. 
Right, ladies and gents, let's do this shit, shall we? I'm going to take a very short break just now. You're going to hear promos for shows that I love. You're going to hear the trailer for Red Dragon when I return myself and Doug Tilly talking about this movie right after this. This is Michael Caine, a award-winning film actor you may know from such cinematic achievements as A Muppet's Christmas Carol and Jaws for The Revenge, where I played a character named after a fucking sandwich. I approve of the following promotional message. Do you like movies? Well, of course. Of course you do, you silly twit. You're listening to a movie podcast right now. Do you like podcasts about movies? I mean, if you're listening to this, your life is empty and without direction. So of course you do. Why not continue the spiral downwards with... They must be destroyed on sight! Yet another semi-regular podcast about film that will occupy some of that empty space in your soul. We cover every genre, but focus on a lot of obscure and cult films with a leaning towards exploitation. If you want a podcast that's going to talk about a silent film from the 1920s one week and a sleazy biker film from the 1960s the next, and then back to something like Singing in the Rain, the next episode, they must be destroyed on sight. Maybe for you. So tune in and join regular hosts Lee Russell, Daniel Hopper, Paul Romani, and Lee Hardy, as well as the odd guest host at tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you, drive through. Dear Doctor, I have admired you for years. I wanted to tell you I'm delighted that you've taken an interest in me. I don't believe you're telling who I am. Besides, the important thing is what I am becoming. I have some things I'd love to show you. Until then, I remain your most avid fan. killed a month apart in their homes. These attacks were highly organized. The victims carefully chosen. This one is gonna go on and on. That's the same atrocious aftershave you wore in court. I need your advice, Dr. Lecter. If you recall well, our last collaboration ended rather messily. How is young Josh and the lovely Molly? They're always in my thoughts, you know. So it's true the Lecter's actually helping with your investigation. We may have a little over three weeks before this freak does it again. I might not have time. I do. I have oodles. You want to know how he's choosing them, don't you? This is a very shy boy, Well, I know what it's like to have people always thinking that you're different. He is refining his methods. He is evolving. What am I doing here? No one will ever be safe around you, Will. A note hidden in Lecter's cell. The killer wants Lecter to answer him through the personal columns. Lecter gave me your home address. Hi. I'm a friend of your father's. Open your eyes. No. 
I am the dragon. Give me what I need. Before me, you tremble. I'll call you if I think of anything else. Would you perhaps like to leave me your home number? Welcome back, ladies and gents. So we've been teasing it for a while. Well, I've been teasing it for a while. That there was one that I was very curious about coming to because I just, I just, I just don't get it. I just don't get, I don't get the need. I don't get why we're here. I'm glad we are because it gives me an opportunity to talk about Red Dragon, which came out one year, <laughs> one year after the Ridley Scott uh, kind of closing the door on the Hannibal Lecter character movie, Hannibal. And uh, they were like that, you know what, let's, he's here, we've got hair dye, um, let, let, let's, let's remake, let's remake that movie again. If there was one man, in fact, I believe he willed this into existence, it's scary how this turned up, there was one guy that was jumping to review this one, I expected everyone to be avoiding the final two movies like The Plague, but uh, joining me, my guest, my very good friend and man who is generally, like, we'll be honest, is the CEO of the Brett Ratner fan club is, of course, a phenomenal Doug Tilly. How's it going, Doug? Duncan, I think the fix was in when it came <laughs> to the choosing of movies for this particular project. Mm. Um, and I have to say, I was thinking about this podcast all morning, right? I was just thinking about how am I going to approach this? Because I've set up a little expectation, uh, which is a little unfair for myself, right? It's like, mm. oh, Doug's going to come in. He's going to be so angry. He's the angry guy. He's going to be angry about this movie. <laughs> so I decided I'm going to start today, Duncan, by flipping the script a little bit. Ooh, and I'm wow. going to ask you a question, Ooh. my Scottish friend, which is, what makes a good... I know that you're a music guy. You, you podcast about music. You talk about music. You write about music. Mm. What makes a good cover song? Ah, see, right, this is, you're very mm. much in my wheelhouse, because I've, in the past, I've had a lot of criticisms about cover songs. I do not see the necessity of a band covering a song where it pretty much just sounds like the original. Like, hmm, tell me more. <laughs> yeah, like, I, 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 I don't see the point of that, because I have the original, unless the original is this really obscure track that no one's heard before, and, you know, in covering it, it then shines attention to the original, then I'm all for that. But when it is just a kind of, well, that song was really popular. We can just play it the same way without changing the arrangement or really inserting anything of ourselves into it, then I find that a waste of time. The best covers to me are the ones that tend to be, although Hollywood's ruined this for me now as well. Like every trailer now has that more sinister version of a really upbeat <laughs> pop song. That used to be the sort of cover songs that I used to like, where someone was like, act like it's the, it's the Marilyn Manson approach to something like Sweet Dreams. Um, right. are made of this like when you when you hear the original version yeah it is a bit dark but there's also that kind of pop beat going in the background and Annie Lennox is giving it big licks and you're listening to it like this is really cool and then when it's slowed down and you actually listen to the lyrical content you're like yeah this is kind of dark sure, absolutely <laughs> to totally totally fits with it so yeah I think the best cover songs are where bands either try and shiny light to this year's been all about I don't know if you know about this Doug Tilly, but this year people finally found Kate Bush 
Um, yes. You know what I mean? I didn't realize it. <laughs> it's like <laughs> as if she hadn't been recording for decades. Um, but people finally found it and uh, yeah, gave her a, a healthy paycheck, which I'm not against. The woman's fucking sure. earned it. But there is a part of me that was like, you know, Placebo did do a cover version of this 25 years ago or something. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it was really fucking good. Um, and no one gave a shit about it then. So I, I'm surprised we're here. It's a long way to get to if you're asking me if this Red Dragon movie... No, no, I'm not talking about movies. I wanted to have a separate conversation about your love of music and the fact that a great cover... A great cover tends to mix up the instrumentation, yeah. sometimes mix up the lyrics, make it your own. That's 100%. what it's about. It's about making that song your own. Yeah. And now on a completely different topic, let's talk about the movie Red Dragon from the year 2002, directed by serial rapist... <laughs> yes, Oh yes. Brett Ratner, oh, yeah. piece of shit. It, this just, I don't look. I, this is unfair to Mr. Ratner. Oh dear. Michael Mann, <laughs> Michael Mann, Jonathan Demme, Sir Ridley Scott. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brett fucking <laughs> Ratner. Right? You want to talk about falling off a goddamn cliff? And I, you know, there's something I promised you, Duncan. Yeah. Uh, I, I brought it up a couple of days ago on social media. I said, you know what I'm gonna do. Yes. Just because I'm not angry enough <laughs> is I'm going to watch Michael Mann's Manhunter mm-hmm. and then I'm going to follow it up uh, with the movie that we're just about to talk about, yeah, Red Batman. Dragon from the year <laughs> 2002. It all works out. I mean, uh, listeners of, of your podcast generally know that we are in the near future going to be doing a roundtable on the entire career of Michael Mann. So oh, it all yes. made sense yes, yeah, that yeah. I'd be watching it anyway. God have mercy on my soul. <laughs> Duncan, because I didn't, I didn't follow through. I did something different. Oh, what did you do differently? I did, I did it worse, which is that I watched, <laughs> I watched Brett Ratner's Red Dragon, and I followed it up with Michael Mann's Manhunter. Which, oh, what, here's the thing: flipped it. If I, I, I flipped the script again. I'm, I'm flipping all over the place today. <laughs> Where I watch, like, if you listen to the original song and then you listen yeah. to the cover song again i'm moving into a completely different conversation there, mm-hmm. a co- cover song and then sorry the original song and then the cover song well you can get an appreciation for that cover song yeah but if you listen to the cover song first then go back to the original boy i'll tell you it just makes that shitty cover <laughs> shittier and shittier and shittier um and especially when when well, let's say the engineer on that song was the same engineer from the first one yeah. uh it makes it even more distressing uh and i mean it's something we were just about we were just talking about before we started recording people like red dragon oh I yeah think in terms of the follow-ups to silence of the lambs this is by far the one people say oh this is closest this yeah. is closest to the silence of the lambs we've got our, our anthony hopkins we've got the the same writer we've got uh you know the tonal consistency let's say from that movie mm-hmm. well i'm here to tell you well maybe let you know i'm gonna hold my opinion back because i don't want to <laughs> give it away <laughs> like this to me feels like the movie you make right after hannibal like you know what i mean like hannibal is the like we talked about it in the, the previous episode which is still to air but myself and and court talked about like j- like if you have if you've come off silence of the lambs right and that movie like did amazing business, you know, Oscars are plenty, and deservedly. Sure. It's, it's a fucking great movie. It's a it's great a, movie. It's a great movie. And then the the author himself, who let's be honest, like Tom Harris, I mean, these books are kind of trashy. Um, but yeah. yeah, like the 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 killers in them 
He did a bit of research. He did, he did a bit of timing. Yeah, he plagiarised a lot of real-life like crimes, but that actually, if anything, makes it better. Like, like Buffalo Bill is scarier because the roots of that character exist in real people that did things. Um, you know, like the, the, the kind of... The, the, the genus of uh, Frank Dollarhide's character exists in the you know the crimes of someone like a BTK. So like I I, I get that I get that locked in. But Hannibal is a trashy pulpy movie. You know what I mean it is like it is so over the top and it's so designed not to be in the tone and keeping of a Silence of the Lambs that by the time we close out that one that one's the closer right you like you, you've yeah. put up like you've you've went as far as you can push it not as far as the book pushed it uh but you went as far as you can push the hannibal character he winks we fade out and i'm like cool right that's done like at no point now do we <laughs> wash need... our hands of this whole hannibal <laughs> character like, never we again will we ever see well, we, don't, we don't we don't need to we don't need to cover it again that's cool right he, he, he's become almost larger than life by the end of hannibal and then it's like, no, 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 hold my beer. Um, we've got another one in there a year later, which, I, I mean, this if ever there was a... Like, you just need to read the comments from the actors involved in this to realise how much of a just a paycheck movie this was. Um, but, like, when you, when you swing back into... There's part of me that understands the, the logic, the Hollywood logic, not the actual logic of, well, there's that one other Hannibal Lecter story where, you know, Anthony Hopkins wasn't in it and yeah it'd be really cool if we we did that and I could understand that right after Silence of the Lambs what I can't understand is what by this point was that 16 years like 16 years after the original movie we're going to remake it again like what nine years after Silence of the Lambs we're gonna we're gonna try and retcon and then the audacity, like the final fuck you, this movie's the very end, which can burn in hell with all of cinema that I hate. Um, but, I, like, it's... I just don't... I understand the... Doesn't the, the end of this movie feel like a Marvel post-credits I don't, Like, Samuel L. Jackson's two <laughs> steps away from coming out, like, revealing himself, he is Barney, revealing himself as in, a woman called Clarice is... Like, it's like, what the fuck are we doing here? It's, like, it's so... And, like, honestly, I've... Uh, I watched this yesterday and like the blood pressure was just and then I fucking log into IMDb and I just read people talking about how great it is and literally not understanding you know like, like fucking Edward Norton really captures the psychology of the character does he? a blank goddamn slate All I can think of they're just going back to that final moment again simply because we're probably not going to talk about it again yeah just imagining <laughs> Brett Ratner's smug fucking face. It's a smug face. You just know. Like, wait till the just audience is getting like, a load of this. Oh, boy. They're going to flip for this shit. Scratching <laughs> his balls. You know, look. Just thinking about the next person he's going to sexually assault. And he's just like, oh, this is so good. Dude, and it sucks so fucking. It, it, all but, it does is painfully, painfully, painfully remind you that there's an Oscar award winning movie that's set in the timeline after this. <laughs> And you just had to sit through this shit to get to that. That's literally all it does. I honestly... Uh, it just it, Across the board. Across the board. Right. It, the, there are a few things that I will credit as positives when we get to that, that moment there. I'm but, not here to say... Look, I, I'm not, I could not possibly say that Red Dragon is a bad movie. It's not yeah. a bad movie all throughout. It certainly isn't. It's very much like a two and a half star on Letterboxd movie. 100%. It just happens to be a cover version 
of a four plus star. Oh yeah, like, I gave it five. Right? Manhunter to me is like, and I can see the flaws in Manhunter, right? And that kind of adds to its charm for me, like because that's a movie that that's a movie by a director. Once again, we're going to get into heavy with the Michael Mann conversation later this year, <laughs> but that is by a director that read that book. And was like, right, all this stuff's just like kind of not interesting. The interesting thing here is the the procedural aspect of this character who is desperately trying to be away from something, but under some weird obligation and duty, understands he's the only one that can crack this case and thus is being used as a tool regardless of whether or not it's going to damage the thing he's trying to build. Out with that, and, you know, point at that, William Peterson's performance is fucking great. Like, hands down, he's a guy that I constantly feel like is on edge, and by the end of it, I'm like, look where this character has come. Edward Norton looks like he's been asked to go for coffee and forgotten what the order is. It makes no sense. <laughs> it makes no sense, because Edward Norton is the king of bringing weird tips into his character. 100%! Right? It's all he does. He's just like, How about a, what if I walk like this? What if I, what if I scrunch up my face like this? Yeah. In this movie, would finally would make sense for him to be, you know giving a portrayal of a damaged gentleman psychologically yep. and getting more damaged as the movie goes along, he's like, ah, Mr. Everyman, Ed Norton. I'm the guy who fucks up all my movies by being so controlling. This is the one that he didn't decide to put his foot down? This is the one where he's just like, I'm Mr. Norton. Hello, everybody. It's so, what is he What is he doing? He's. I don't I get understand it. that like this character, you got to bring something to it because otherwise the whole the rest of the cast are just going to eat you alive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, that's basically what happens without happening in this. A hundred percent. Like there's um there's a there's a, a bit of tidbits in the trivia which I found really interesting, which is Edward Norton took every penny that he made in this movie to finance the twenty fifth hour, which makes sense. He's like that. And you know what? At least he did something worthwhile. At least he got something out of it, right? Like, no one else did, uh, except stains on their, their career. Um, like, like what, now we're talking about, like, weird casting choices. Like, things that totally sound like Ratner-isms. Um, Freddie Limbs, you know who, who was maybe considered for that? Jack Black. Right. Yep. yep. Jack Black! Right, now, what? Jack Black, and I like Jack Black. <laughs> I like him. But, like, especially in this time period... Dude's doing like weird. Like, he's trying to do serious shit that doesn't work. So he's doing a lot of comedy stuff, which once again doesn't work. Yeah, Dollar Height. The year after High Fidelity, right? Yes, so, I mean, that's he, right. Yeah, yeah. Like... Through, which is probably why they were thinking of him for that. And before that, he was you know doing character actor type parts. He's so in that. He's, then, he loses but, but, his hand in a lot. He dies horribly in a lot of these <laughs> yes, movies. He <laughs> he, I was just thinking about the jackal, where he's like the he's the guy that builds the gun, and you're like for for Bruce Willis. And he's, he's going to, like, it's, what did he think was going to happen? I'll just go down the bottom here and hold this thing in front of this giant fucking cannon. Moron, it's what he is. Um, he deserved to lose his hand in any life. Um, dollar height? Nicolas Cage was considered. Because, of course, although there's part of me that really... <laughs> there's a movie out there in an alternate universe where Nick Cage plays Francis Dollarhide, and it's fucking amazing. Uh, but Sean Penn um, was considered, maybe... Um, the, the Harvey Keitel in here is is kind of Jack Crawford. There's so much we have to get to in terms of these things, but like Brett Ratner is the least like qualified director to tackle something of this quality and this sort of. It's so bizarre because like the dude obviously has a track record. 
like, <laughs> also has hopefully a record, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, like, like a track record of making like these big blockbuster movies. But when you look at the, when you look at the portfolio of uh, one Mr. Ratner, it, none of it is really like hard hitting, full on psychological you know, like, crime investigation movie. Like, this dude did yeah, fucking... Yeah, this was, this was definitely a departure for him. Yeah, like, time. Rush Hour. He made Rush Hour three years, three, three, four years before this. Rush Hour 2's made two years before this. It's like, what? Hard, hard to believe that a guy who brought Roman Polanski back into the acting world would be so tasteless. Oh, dude. There's like, <laughs> another great trivia fact here. Uh, he wanted Michael Mann to have a cameo in this, this movie, and Mann was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, wh while you're making my movie, why don't I show up in it? <laughs> while, while, I'm while you're making my movie with my cinematographer. Yeah, while I'm butchering everything you did in your movie. Because um, this one, right, like, it's worth saying, like, this adaptation's more faithful to the book, right? Sure. So, and, uh, like, the, it, you, the, the, it's evident because... Like Manhunter, as a movie, we discussed it when we we're talking about the movie. Manhunter, the reason, like the the Red Dragon stuff, for the most part, is stripped out of that, and the the actual Dollarhide character, a lot of that is just taken out of Man's adaptation because that's not the bit that interests him, and rightly so. I kind of like that. I like that we are what like an hour into Manhunter before yeah. we even see the Tooth Fairy, and even then, sure. it's it's not really any. Like powerful, like like it's not like right. He's the villain, you know. It's not it's not done that way in any way, shape, or form. And as a result, I think it benefits. Actually, that's more in keeping with Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs is kind of the same when you think about it. Like we don't get you don't get like Ted Levine until like we get a glimpse of him earlier on when he kidnaps uh, Catherine Martin, but you don't really get much of him until the end. And that kind of works because it's police procedural it's it's the it's the psychology of the investigator trying to crack the case by approaching or confronting or consuming or becoming the evil in which it takes to capture the you know the the, the killer and this movie no um we're just going to spend a lot of time looking at finds his well-sculpted ass but by god could you bounce a quarter off that ass i tell you right now that is that is taut um, the softening of the character with all yeah. of that time devoted to him. I mean, there is something there that could be very interesting. Well, the book, you've read the book, yeah. I, I Not since I was a teenager. Yeah. So, it's, so it's like, the, so the whole backstory, like, he's more in keeping with them. Like, Dollarhide oh, is a, like, a bodybuilder, fitness fanatic. Sure. For, like, former soldier who, like, when he was on tour in Asia, um, got the giant red dragon tattoo on his back, got the fake teeth, um, from there and all the rest and then came back and is building up to his crimes um, yeah I mean and, great but wouldn't it be better if we yeah. just saw Tom Noonan's fucking face and be like oh no yeah. I don't want that guy anywhere near well, that's, that's me a <laughs> that's the genius of it like Tom Noonan comes I love Tom Noonan Tom Noonan appears on the screen and I'm like obvious serial killer <laughs> there's no like well let's hear voices in your head about your mother chopping your dick off and um, we don't get like that just i look at him and i'm like that right there's something you know a little bit wrong um like not not least to see that shirt he's wearing which is horrendous um but and i know it was the 80s and i know we had weird fashion but come on um but like there's it's just and the other thing about this is as well if you're thinking about time like this is another thing that like suddenly struck me like very like abruptly when watching when watching this one is is the idea of time itself right this is supposedly set before 
like Silence of the Lambs has to be. And Silence right. of the Lambs, it never gives you the date of when it's set, but that movie itself is dated by everything around it. And then I watch this Technology, movie and it I like, yeah, does yeah. not feel dated. Like, this feels modern. This feels like it happened yesterday. Like, they don't have mobile phones or anything like that, but there isn't really that much attention to um, clothing, uh, to dialogue, to uh, technology like vehicles and stuff they're using. There isn't really that much attention to anything like that to actually set this that would make sense to flow into like Silence of the Lambs, which is just another one of these things that uh, like just it, like it wouldn't be so irritating mind. except the very first scene in Brett Ratner's Red Dragon <laughs> yep. is that it, it takes place in a set date right 1980 right uh -huh. 1980 81 uh, and, and so you, it, it puts it in time as yep. a prequel to the events of Silence of the Lambs yep. and you're right it doesn't really make sense one of the great things about Manhunter when you're watching it because of the procedural aspect of it is that you see the technology that they're using it's very much of the mid 80s right yes. it feels it's like but it is modern to the mid 80s everyone's like they're they're working at you know the the uh the toilet paper node and trying to to mm -hmm. figure out the, i love all that stuff it's yeah. so great but it's also it feels so quaint when you're watching a 2002 movie and it's trying to do the same sort of thing except yeah. it's brett ratner at the fucking controls <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's surprise it's like the toilet paper is not covered in his own shit yeah anyway. <laughs> anyway but you're right the, the time thing it, it, it's funny because the way that this movie is structured and the way it's designed and that ending, which we've already yeah. talked about, it's supposed to be like, you could watch this and then turn on Silence of the Lambs and it would just smoothly go yeah, into seamlessly. it. Seamlessly, yeah. It wouldn't at all. No, never in a million years. And yeah, a yeah, lot yeah. of that is down to just the fact that Anthony Hopkins is getting on. Like, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? He looks visibly older and I know he lost weight for this performance and all the rest. It's, it's weird. I heard him... Um, <laughs> Brian, I love Brian Cox, not only because Brian Cox is Scottish, right, which will sure. like infinitely endear him to myself, not only because he is of the same political persuasion as myself, and very <laughs> outspoken that way, which also, yep. once again, endears him very much to myself, but he's, he's, like, any interview he's ever had, from way back in the day, he's been kind of brutally honest about... Yes. he shoots from the hip, Absolutely. Yeah, like, w about this role in particular... And he it was forever getting that question about, well, you know, you played, you played this character. You've become this pub quiz question that, you know, get, traps everyone out. Who's the actor that played Hannibal Lecter? Or who's the first one to play him? And everyone goes, Anthony, Anthony Hopkins. And actually, it's you. And he's like, yeah, 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 whatever. Um, and then they're like, like you see a, a ton of these interviews where they basically say, how did it feel that, you know, Anthony Hopkins then would take that character and win an Oscar for it? And... <laughs> Like every every single time Cox answers the same ways like that. Well, no offense to Anthony Hopkins, but I don't think I want to win an Oscar for playing Hannibal Lecter. It's just not something like I, I just I I never wanted that. Like that's not, it didn't interest me. It was an interesting exercise, but he was never a character that I felt because he 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 kind of saw the writing on the wall early on, where Harris was starting to kind of fall in love with the Lecter character a little bit right. too much, um, and he just didn't it never appealed to him. Never appealed to him, never made any sense and all the rest. And as a result of all the portrayals that feel like a kind of... And this is not taking anything away from Anthony Hopkins' performance. It gets more pantomime because it's written that way. Yeah, you know what I mean. Absolutely. That's just the, is that's how it's on page. So that's it's also we, let's face it, it's what the people wanted, right? Hundred I mean, percent yeah. more Anthony Hopkins in this because he is the franchise. At this it's Freddy Krueger syndrome. You yeah. know what I mean? We want more one-liners. We want all that stuff because that's it's impossible to picture the Hannibal Lecter of Red Dragon 
yeah. as like a normal human being psychiatrist. <laughs> Even though they yeah. portray him like at the beginning, it's like, oh, look at just the idea of him sitting down and be like throwing in threatening fucking sounds every yeah. once in a while. And she's like, what's wrong? Scared? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, dude, honestly. See the phrase, I have oodles of time makes me want to claw my face off and throw it at the screen. Uh, but yeah, the, 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 you know, there's like of all the ones that feel like they kind of capture almost the mundane aspect of being a serial killer. Like most of them don't have a personality. That's what being a psychotic is. You don't have a personality. Yeah. Um, Cox handles it like fucking perfectly, but the, there's. Uh, I mean, he it, seems, it's, Cox seems terrifyingly smart. Yeah. While <laughs> Anthony Hopkins comes off as being hoity-toity, right? Almost yeah. like snobbish. Yeah. Which that's funny too, because that makes it you can put in a lot of black humor in regards to like that opening scene. I really, I do like that in yeah. this because it feels very much of oh, you know, everyone knows what's going on. He's serving them the, the person from you know he yeah. he hates bad taste while. Uh, exemplifying as good taste, as much good taste as possible. Mm -hmm. That feels almost like a continuation of what the Mads Mikkelsen version of Hannibal would be. A hundred percent. And yeah, once again, that's kind of how it was. The, the stories are alluded to in the book of the things right. that Lecter did. They're just, for lack of a better word, fleshing it out here. Um, <laughs> and, you know, that, that totally works. But you're right. There's like, to me, there's something dangerously unassuming about like Cox's portrayal of Lecter. And that you could probably meet this guy and you were told he was a psychiatrist and you'd be like that. Well, that fits, right? But, you know, he's, he's like, ridiculously smart. Like, just, like, like uh, clever in a way where you would let your guard down. You would never let your guard down in front of, like... Yeah, the charm offensive would always be on with Hopkins. But, like, n like <laughs> he's the guy that's eating people? Of course he is! <laughs> like, of course he is. <laughs> I, read, I read in the IMDb trivia that one of the reasons that, aside from the fact that they brought the writer of this, The Silence of the Lambs back for Red Dragon, yep. one of the reasons Anthony Hopkins wanted to do it was that he felt that uh, this was a, a corrective for the series, that people were not as scared. They were, they were liking Hannibal too much. So yeah. by making him, you know, reinforcing the fact that he was a serial killer and a threat and evil man, that's what he would do Red Dragon for. And all I could think afterwards was, oh, yeah, you're right. No one would ever idolize Hannibal in the future again. People wouldn't love that character when they turn him into Mads Mikkelsen on a TV series. Where basically now, I mean, it, the funny thing is, you know, Brian Cox, now that he's back in the public eye so so uh, publicly, yeah. I should say, for Succession, you know, he's, he's a beloved actor now. Mm -hmm. it's, this isn't like... You know, in 2001, he was in Super Troopers, right? So this, yeah. I can see why he would have been asked all this, like, wouldn't you want to have Anthony Hopkins' career? It all worked out for everybody in yeah. the end. But at the time of this movie, right, it's like Hannibal Lecter is Anthony Hopkins. It yeah. is interesting now in, in 2022 to be like, well, now Hannibal is a lot of different people. So yeah. now to go back to it, it feels like this this in particular feels like a very superfluous performance and a superfluous movie and just an yeah. unnecessary um piece of of floatsome you know just like it's a, it, it, it you could take this out of the history of the world and you'd still have the story told in a very good way and it, you could still connect it you know you could do a couple of, of hoops in your brain mm -hmm. to connect it to the silence of the lambs and who cares you don't need every piece connected for you no no that was the, the kind of the kind of the, the beauty of of that Sansa Lambs movie when it first comes out is like we just we for all intents and purposes we recast everyone, right? You know what I mean? So there's like it, it, it is connected. There's connective tissue there, and that you know it's the continuation of the behavioral sciences unit, 
and liked her character, even though it's, you know, in the original Manhunter, it's liked her with a K, um, not liked her <laughs> with a C. Why not? Michael Mann, you do what you want. Um, but the, the idea of this just being a thing that continues onwards is this can you could almost spin up um you know like every decade you could have one of these movies where someone has to go and consult a hannibal lecter very much like a james bond character could be played by a different actor each time and and who cares but the traction that you got off the back of hopkins performance and then ultimately you know like the fact that people end up dressing up like him for halloween post that movie i think pretty yeah. much says a lot that you get the hannibal movie which to me is the kind of it's the you know full turn to making him the anti-hero and it's the most over the top and all and i understand like maybe from an actor's point of view i want to go back and make him a dangerous character but the movie <laughs> the movie red dragon the novel red dragon the movie manhunter He's not the dangerous character. That's it, exactly. And that's the issue here. Like, so all the scenes that we're now adding in, like the scene of him walking around the the kind of <laughs> like where he's like in a sudden rush of you know uh, of adrenaline, you know the scare and all the rest, and the boo scene and all the rest. I mean, that's 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 not in the book. And that, yeah, that's it's like, like a like an aircraft storage unit yeah. that they just have <laughs> just on for one person at a time to walk <laughs> just... in a circle. <laughs> yeah, this is this is the the the, the Hannibal exercise room. It gets an hour of walking a day before his sauna. Um, it's just like you know, what I mean? like they've added that in, and that's purely to get more of him in there. So yeah. it's not really to remake the movie. Then it's to cash in on that Anthony Hopkins cachet that we got off the back of the Ridley Scott directed Hannibal to to end up here. Like and that the thing is we had so much Hannibal in that movie that I'm kinda like if we're going back to do it, that this is the prime opportunity to ramp back on it. To go yeah. back to what we had in Manhunter. And that's just not it's just not what they give you. Uh, we've went like way into this, but I do need to form a couple of questions here. I am super <laughs> curious and we, we kinda teased up a couple of things here, but I'm super curious to to find out and let me say, this is a perfectly salvageable, salvageable movie. Like that, this is a switch your brain off, sit down, watch. Yes, it's entertaining. In a world that Manhunter didn't exist yes. in. This would yeah. be a, a yeah, a, a, a three star. Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, I th it's never going to be top tier because it's too trashy for that. But what does what does Red Dragon do well then in your eyes? Like what, what are the elements that actually hold together and kind of work? I mean, it's slick. Right, mm -hmm. and and I think that is the thing that sort of hypnotizes certain audiences <laughs> to a certain extent. You know what I mean? Where it's just yeah. like, oh, it feels modern, and yeah. it feels early two thousands. At least that's at the time. That's how people kind of responded to it. I remember when this movie came out. I saw it when it came out, and I liked it just fine. I didn't have any particularly strong positive or negative feelings about Brett Ratner at the time, but it just felt like a continuation. But at that time, I had not seen Manhunter, and the, the fact is, Michael Mann's uh, profile. It, particularly when it comes to online criticism and film critics that, that are very online people and are, are involved with social media, <laughs> they love fucking Michael Mann. They fucking, yeah. even in the movies that, like, if you talk to a person on the street, you're like, Public Enemies, no one liked that fucking movie. Yeah. No, they love that movie. <laughs> they love Black Hat. We're going to talk all about this when we get down to it. But in 2002, it, it, even though people really liked Michael Mann because he was such a consistent director, um, they didn't really talk that much about Manhunter. It was thought of as sort of this flawed movie that had really strong performances but people didn't talk about it quite as much at least in my circle yeah so I, would, now, I would agree with that i would agree and I, I think there's a lot of that where 
In fact, it's weird that Thief is only in the last decade really started to get exactly. a ton of attention. I think some people like think that Michael Mann just started making movies with The Last of the Mohicans. Like, I genuinely think there's people out there that are just not aware of like Manhunter to the extent that they probably should. Thief to think the about extent the reputation that they probably of the keep should. over the last decade, right? Yeah. A movie that was basically said, oh, what a, like a disaster. No one could possibly <laughs> like it. And now people are talking about it. It's like, oh, it's one of the great, I mean, I think that maybe it, the, the reality falls somewhere in the middle. It seems anyway, we'll talk about the key. There's people. We'll there's people out there that are desperate for the <laughs> the full on Snyder cut of the keep, which blows my mind because I think the original cut is over three hours long. And <laughs> like, ain't nobody got time for that, Doug. Ain't nobody got time for that. But yeah, I think I think you're right. I think you are right there. All right, let's going back to what works in Red Dragon. Hmm. I was going to say. You know, the production value is very high, and it is, but then I don't like the soundtrack. I know Danny Elfman, yep. I look, I like Danny Elfman. I used to be able to say I love Danny Elfman, <laughs> but he's just done too much garbage over the years. His 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 score does not work in no. the context of this movie. It's just too overblown. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Anthony Hopkins is still good, because he's Anthony fucking Hopkins. He's never yeah. bad. I don't think Edward Norton is good. I think Ray Fiennes is a terrific actor, but whenever he's in scenes with Emily Watson... All I'm hearing is two actors trying desperately not to let their natural accents come through. Um, and that's something that I have a little difficulty with sometimes. I just, maybe it's because I, I you know, both of us, uh, even though it might not come through right now, Duncan. Yeah. You know, I was raised with a very strong accent myself. Uh, and, and so I, fi I feel like I have an ear for it to a certain extent. Yeah. It, Ray finds this movie just wants him to be a lot more central than I think any audience could want. Yeah. You know, they just want to spend so much time with this character. And I think it's important because of those last few minutes of the movie where Emily Watson is so traumatized by her experience. And, you know, that you have that really, actually a really nice scene between Will Graham and her. Really one of the few scenes where you see Edward Norton's charisma, where they're like playful with each other and he's trying to comfort her a little bit. And he wants to reinforce the idea that there was humanity in him. But Jesus, yeah. you know what? The 20 years since this movie has come out, every movie is about how, you know, this t totally evil person, hey, he had a shitty childhood, you know, yeah. and I know that's part of the book as well, but I just, I know it. He turned into a fucking serial killer. Yeah. I, I figured out that he had a shitty childhood. <laughs> Probably wasn't that great for him, right? You can, you can hint at it. This movie takes all subtext and just puts it on the screen, right? Yeah. They got to have the, the voice of the mother yelling. You got to, you got to, every time he's working out, he's basically... He's basically like like going through flashbacks of it again and again. He's got to have a huge scrapbook, which just just well, details that's what every that's moment. the that's the bit that's the bit that feels like like you really want to scream. We get it to the screen as the end where he's sitting with the book got that. This kid had. Did you see the childhood this kid had? And I was like, yes. For the last two hours, we saw the child, like that. I understand that you're just you're just picking up on this now, but. Like if anyone if anyone in this movie should be not surprised by that is you criminal profiler like expert like, on serial Graham, killers. Will you Graham. have the first you have the first shot at looking through this diary yeah. of his his scrapbook and he's like oh yeah it's a real honor of mine and he looks through it it's like you know what I've come up with after reading all this this guy's pretty messed up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna put it out there this guy's not good he's not a good guy Doug. All I can think of is the Will Graham. It's like, Jesus, I wish I had this thing at the beginning. I could have figured this all out. All the clues are right there. <laughs> but it's like, like, it's one of those things where it's a needless bit of, I, I, like, I don't know what purpose him seeing the book at the end serves. 
like at all out with once again to like ah he gets it like the audience but I mean what are we doing like I, I just it's it's I, I also like how it's like like all throughout it Will Graham is like you know and, and, and really Hannibal Lecter as well it's like he's yeah. getting better you know yes yeah. he's, he's getting more refined <laughs> in terms of his methods now I'm gonna go into a museum and eat the painting in front of as many people oh, as possible oh my <laughs> god yeah like, this guy this guy's never gonna be caught until he's like that apart from the point when he walks in past all these different witnesses doesn't kill the woman either just knocks her out well then... I mean look what museum has ever had a security camera <laughs> <laughs> it's just let, let me see like I I like the physical performance of Fines in the movie because, like I say, it kind of ebbs the book. You know, it resembles the book that way. He is supposed to be yeah. a whole... And, like, height-wise, Tom Noonan is that. Stature-wise, in terms of physicality, he's a tall, thin guy. Um, you know, so he, he doesn't he doesn't really... doesn't put that forward. That's why that scene when, him, like, you know, when... Uh, Pearson jumps through the the window, and like Noonan just like instantly grabs a shotgun because that's what that guy would do. It's not an, yeah. it's not a fist fight. He's like that. No shotgun will equalize this right now. Um, and this one, it was I'll, smart to cast someone as different from Tom Noonan. A hundred percent. Yeah, and it, it, like I say, it keeps it keeps with that thing. And if you are, if you, it's one of the arguments for remakes. Doug um, is like you hear this all the time when you watch it. You're like, is it really more in keeping with the book? But if you were like that, well, Michael Mann strips out a ton of stuff from the book that we want to put back in the book in a remake i'm down to clown on that but then if you're just adding in all this extra detail that's not in the book then what are we doing like i mean like because clearly that's not your that's not your motive then your motive is to change it to make you know the like we said before the hannibal character larger than life anthony hopkins is fine in this movie right it, it, like, like i say he comes away with a couple of lines which are so eye-rolly that you almost miss the movie um because your eyes are stuck like way way back and like finds his physicality is really good yeah philip seymour hoffman is great like as yeah, Freddie Lims, absolutely. Uh, previously played by Stephen Lang, I think it is. Who, Stephen Lang, yeah. yeah. <laughs> who would go on to like speaking about like reprehensible characters on screen? You know, he's done those Don't Breathe movies now, and That's he's right. got. I think he's his next movies. Uh, in fact, his new movie is going to be Old Man. Yeah, the yeah, Lucky yeah, McKee. Yeah. Which yeah. I mean, I love Lucky McKee, so I'm like, I'm very interested to see what I'm saying. But there's a guy who like is, is still acting. It's like, that, when you actually look at the cast of Manhunter it's fucking mind-blowing um but like kind of here as well though it's, it's a mind-blowing cast very much like Hannibal it's a mind-blowing cast that are here so I'm just thinking about in terms of a franchise where making your main character an anti-hero yeah that wouldn't have worked very well I would say that Don't Breathe series is probably taking the wrong oh, direction dude but... yeah oh man yeah like that it feels like that has been penned from Brett Ratner um, yeah, no kidding no no kidding <laughs> yeah 100% but yeah no look I, I know we're not supposed to be going on and on about Manhunter because we'll be able to do that pretty soon yeah, yeah. but that cast is unbelievable it's I mean, it really, ridiculous really is. across the board. Like, and you, like I say, you've got some great names here, but I'm just looking at a ton of wasted talent here. I yes. don't like Harvey Keitel's performance. He's bad. He's he's yeah. outright not good, and especially because De Dennis Farina is such a like Dennis Farina did not have a lot of range as an actor. Yes, but the roles that he could play, he no one could play it. Nailed as well them. As he yeah, and nailed he, them. And he's really and good. There's like, a, it, that bit where and we were talking about this. That bit in like once again, <laughs> manhunter thing. But there's a bit where they're they're briefing the FBI people, and they're standing yeah. there. And the the two the two guys in that room are like, you know, we, we already we already sweat for fingerprints. Why would we do that? You know, and um, 
Pearson's like really on edge, like pretty much all the way through the movie, but he's really on edge at this bit. And then the call comes through and they put the call on and there's that bit where, yeah, we got like a, a print of the kid's eye. There's another right, partial right. print here. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're, we're going to see what we can do with it. And Peterson walks off and Farina like gives the two cops this look and it is the most, it's like this death stare of like, I mean, you fucking wasting our time here. Like, yeah, there's, right. like there's, there's lives at stake. There ain't no scene in this where like Harvey Keitel is, this is a phone-in job if ever I saw one. He's still in the, I'm the cleaner. You know what I mean? Like from, yeah, from, yeah. From you could Pulp see, you could see why Will Graham and Jack Crawford were tight yeah. in Manhunter yes. because they're working together at every step of the way. In in Red Dragon, it just feels like okay, Will Graham, go off and do something and report <laughs> back to me by phone every twenty minutes or so. You know, the other thing I was just reminded of that when you were just mentioning that scene where there, yeah. where Will Graham has to go in front of the cops and basically you know talk about the the psychology of mm-hmm. the killer. In the original, he just goes up and does it, and it's you know it, it's it's a really interesting scene. Doesn't have that line about him being God in this one and stuff like yeah. that. But the thing I really don't like is when he gets up to go in front of the cops. You hear them all whisper to themselves yeah. about yeah. like, "That's that guy. Animal. He's the guy who took down Lecter." Yeah. I mean, it's just like it's like in a book you could yeah. say the cops whisper among themselves, but in a fucking movie, it's like, shut up. He's going in front of you. He can hear you, right? (laughs) Part of his deal is that he can really see a lot of shit that's going on. All you guys whispering about how he was in like a mental hospital because he killed a serial killer, almost uh, killed a serial killer. All these these random cops in in the Manhunter adaptation are constantly, like there's people that come up to Pearson in the movie and are like that. Like you, you, we don't want you to get too far into this. We don't, like. Are you okay? Yeah. Is everything okay? No sure. one gives a fuck about Edward Norton in this movie. Let alone Edward Norton. Um, <laughs> you really don't give a fuck about this movie, and it shows. Or Mary Louise Parker. She has yeah. nothing oh, to do. Oh, dude, <laughs> like Molly is just a non-event in this. Well, character. I should say she gets one thing to do at the very end of yeah. the movie, but that's that's all she gets. <laughs> yeah, that's all she wrote. Um, but Philip Seymour Hoffman is—he's Freddie Lynn's. He's the guy that works at the Tatler. He's the investigative reporter who we are established is a total sleazeball and the link once again give credit where credit's due the montage of the credits at the beginning show Will Graham in the photo that's alluded to you know him in the hospital bed from the Tatler so all these excerpts from the Tatler with Freddie Lim's name on it so you know straight away piece of shit guy right piece of shit reporter and like Philip Seymour Hoffman plays it fucking perfectly he's sweaty he's like he just he just like I mean, fe- talk, uh, just a loathsome yeah in- individual and he played i mean look the, the maybe the the greatest loathsome actor in history was yeah. philip seymour hoffman yeah i will say the greatest piece of acting in this entire movie by far is his reaction to the tooth fairy when he reveals himself yes where it was it's not like him like screaming it's just him going like oh god like he just yeah. he just can't the situation is just so overwhelming that it's it's less terror than it is just kind of like fucking up his brain from what he's encountering. It's yeah, really and it's, really good. It, that scene is like I'm, I'll be honest, is better than the scene in Manhunter. But but it's played better, it's yeah. played for it's played for different reasons, and it's much more it's much more gratuitous as well. Like like that's the that's the other thing. Like we, we get like we get like a good old help healthy dose of blood in here where like Manhunter doesn't really have any of that um, it's all characters reacting to the violence so we see the pain in their face we see the uncomfortable nature of what they're having to witness and this one you know there's a different audience we're going for now so I will say that the room covered in blood yeah. that uh, Will Graham goes to at the beginning of Manhunter yeah. I know like they do that scene almost exactly the same in 
in uh, Red Dragon, you think that in the remake it would be way more gruesome and it's way more gruesome in the original. It's just yeah. because all those white rooms that are all over <laughs> yeah, that movie. It's all, it's it's just like, when room. I think about that movie, it's a white room splattered in blood. Yeah. <laughs> there is there is a part of it that feels like um like the the Jeff Lindsay who wrote the Dexter novels and then ultimately right. the TV show that came out there was like every scene needs like every blood splatter needs to look like the scene in Manhunter like can we put it on the wall please because it is it's so it's so violent it's so over the top that your brain is just like what could have caused this and that's the genius of the, him then switching to reading out all the stuff from the board and that you know that works like whereas in this one we get to see Will Graham which the TV shows co-opted quite a bit but the idea of Will Graham actually playing the crime out in his brain to an extent so he's actually like he's not only seeing the pictures but why would he try to piece the stuff together which once again would be a really interesting thing if there was an interesting performance behind it there isn't but yeah like like Philip Seymour Hoffman MV, MVP of this movie I think is great I think, well, I mean, Frankie Fison's back in this one as Barney in all four <laughs> movies. Like, he's that, he has that small cop yeah, cameo in, in Man Look, I love Frankie Fison. It's terrific. He's great in this movie. The- he's great in this movie as, oh, yeah, that guy who is now all of a sudden a key player in this, you know, like, one of these things that's going to carry through the Hannibal universe question mark it's like doing a new new like nightmare on elm street movie and having like a lawrence fishburne show up <laughs> just in one scene just in the background wandering by <laughs> it's like oh um like we bring back uh anthony held as uh, dr chilton obviously chilton in manhunter is a fairly sober character isn't much of a sleazeball at all i can't remember if he's written that way i, I get a feeling he is written that way in the original book but obviously he has more active role in uh, so we're kind of changing his personality he's, he's playing this yeah this it's, but yeah it's, it's like i don't understand why he's like yeah i, I mean i get it because people love people really responded to him in sounds yeah. of the lambs as being that sleazeball and i get it and you're right it's probably in the original text i can't remember that whatsoever but yeah. just the idea that they give him like more where it's just like i gotta pressure fucking will graham to help me get a book deal i yeah. mean it just at some point you would think like is especially uh, <laughs> once uh once hannibal lecter escapes and all that you yeah. think it would be Maybe this isn't the best guy to be running this fucking place. Yeah, like maybe maybe we shouldn't. Maybe this guy shouldn't be in charge. Um, so like he's a he's a weird performance. Emily Watson, I think you touched on it um, as as Reba in this in this movie. Like you do kind of feel it's, it's an awkward performance. Not a bad performance by any stretch no, of the imagination. I mean, look, I don't think she can give a bad performance. It's just funny to me that basically. She, I mean, she she made Punch Drunk Love the same year as this, and yeah. she's basically just playing the same role. <laughs> I mean, really, wouldn't it be great if Adam Sandler played the Tooth Fairy in this? Yeah, uh, do both movies the same year? Now that would be something. That that would be that would be putting your own spin on the cover song. Yeah, right? that would be something neat. But anyway, yeah, it'd be something great. different. You know, I mean, at least so so yeah. So like I. I I, like I said, I don't want to like just completely beat this movie up. Oh, but Whatever. Th- th- there's um... <laughs> Fuck this movie. But yeah. Brett <laughs> But like, it really yeah, does come. Boy, I'm going to stop you for a second there, yeah. Duncan. Let's look at Brett Ratner's career after this movie. Ooh. He made... Did he, he do directed... anything of note after this? <laughs> yes, very yes, much so. He directed the movie did. After the Sunset, uh, which I don't think anyone remembers. Woody Harrelson was in it. Then he did yeah. X-Men The Last Stand, which everyone fucking despises for good reason. Yeah, I hate that. R- R- Rush Hour 3, which only terrible people like. <laughs> uh, 
Then he made Tower Heist, which no one liked. And then Hercules with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. No one likes that either. And then uh, all along the time, he was uh, sexually assaulting people and just yep. being a disgusting scumbag the whole time. And uh, now his career is dead. So congratulations, <laughs> Brett Ratner, the broiest douchebag in all of Hollywood. The thing is, he, like, even like even these headshots, he just looks like a dickhead. Like, just like, like and I'm not... He looks like the epitome of you were like smug Hollywood. That's what I picture when I think of smug Hollywood. Like, just that face is usually a pit me of it. Um, but let's, well, let's continue on. We're already kind of going yeah, with the bad we'll here. through there. Yeah. How, much, how far are we into the plot? I think the opening scene, we're gone through that. Yeah, yeah. So, like, <laughs> so we have, we, we have basically, like you said before, we've got the setup. And this, this is basically where I'm now leaning into my bad here. So, the setup of, like, how like Hannibal gets caught, not that we ever needed it, but we now have that filmic prosperity um and we have the events that will ultimately give the the kind of backstory to will graham so whereas once again don't want to keep going back to manhunter concisely just has that conversation on the beach we've added 15 minutes <laughs> to this movie to get to him on the beach i mean so, 15 minutes are to get more hannibal in the movie a hundred percent as as literally because he's on the front cover isn't he? He's on the front cover. Yeah. He's not the villain in this movie. Like, he is the villain, but he's not the villain in this movie. The villain in this movie is fucking Tooth Fairy. You know what I mean? Like, I, why is... Oh, I don't know. Anyway, right, so... We have a... So, like, we have the, the Kytel sit down. It's all very shit. Um, and we get Norton back in, and Norton's got... It's the same setup as the, the, the book. Same setup as yeah. Manhunter. Um, yeah. Tooth Fairy is killing on a lunar cycle. He's already killed two families. Um, FBI have tapped out basically everything they can do. They've got no leads on it at all. Uh, Jack Crawford um, is, you know, under the pressure here. He's He doesn't want to have to, but he's having to deploy his best weapon. Emotionally damaged, mentally scarred and wounded Will Graham, uh, a guy who has pure empathy and can get into the heads of the killers to bring him back on the case to initially, even though he knows... And that's the other thing. Like, <laughs> the list just goes on and on. In Manhunter, it's... Like, Peterson's like that, I'm going to go and speak to Lecter. And there ain't nothing about this one, but then this one here, it's, you know, like... Uh, I, you know, I, I always used to work better when I worked with that guy. What's his name again? Yeah, Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> uh, like, and Crawford's like, oh, yeah, yeah. He's like that. Wait one second. Did you bring me back because you thought I'd go and speak to him? Well, maybe I did. Uh-oh. I've been rumbled. <laughs> he points out, ah, oh, you got me. You got me. Oh, that's, I just, just wanted to hook you guys up again. <laughs> just fucking so shit. Um, but yeah, so we have Will Graham goes and visits Lecter this time not on the, the top floor of whatever building that is in Manhunter that has that massive run like, which is amazing it's just so 80s and so Michael Mann I fucking love it uh, it's like that I want this scene of William Peterson running down this just this massive massive runway down this building to the sounds of pumping synthwave can I get that? yes <laughs> now we're in the 80s but yeah like so Will Graham's back on the case meanwhile Philip Seymour Hoffman as Freddie Limbs is kind of sneaking around sniff around trying to find out what's going on and then like very not very very early on but early on in this movie we get Tooth Fairy stuff and we're, we're building out that character so uh, much more time for Fines to play this character some of this is 
once again in keeping with the, the the tone of what we know about the character and then there's other stuff that are just like bugging flung in here let's just get this in here you live in this creepy old mansion in the middle of nowhere um just surrounded by old wheelchairs um and that house is so fucking big yeah it is ridiculous it's impractically big like, <laughs> it is it is impractical i'm just thinking about what rental prices and house <laughs> prices these days are you kidding me fucking toothberry should have held on for 20 years he'd be walking out of there with five million dollars look at this um, guy look at this serial killer cutting around like rockefeller um, <laughs> <laughs> like... yeah duncan i got a question for you go for it ray fines yes. great actor mm -hmm. uh, terrific in so many things do you know what his real name is like his birth name is i don't know it is Rafe, like yep. that is his first name, and his last name is Fines, but his name is Rafe Nathaniel Twizzleton Wickham Fines. His parents. Twizzleton Wickham. His parents. So he's obviously from money, because <laughs> <laughs> only money would come up with tw Twizzleton Wickham. Um, he's like, I wonder what he was, what he's like eating all the paper in that scene yeah. where he eats like. <laughs> he's like, oh, I'm a Twizzleton. Damn it. <laughs> Uh, such a painful looking scene as well because that doesn't look like rice paper he's putting in his mouth that looks like painful canvas and you can imagine an actor of his caliber knowing what I know about him loosely saying no it needs to be proper parchment you know it yeah. needs to be proper I need to canvas. shit this out later on yeah, like, I will swallow this I don't care what it does to my intestinal tract um, <laughs> like, he's, he's always he will always endear himself to me with uh, it's uh, in Bruges I love him in Bruges I love him in Bruges right? absolutely but, like, when he's like that he's like He's fucking, he's smashing the phone and his wife comes in and he's, he's like that. An inanimate fucking no, object. He's like, you're an inanimate fucking object. Because <laughs> someone think he can, he can only come up with that. It's just, oh man, Voldemort aside, which is sadly how the fines will be known, like, post his death, which is tragic. But, you know I mean? It's, it's made him a lot of money and I don't think he's I mean, minding it. <laughs> That's a, that's the kind of tragedy I wouldn't mind being involved. In. Oh, hundred percent! Yeah, like 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 ultimate like like iconic villains that transcended that. Like, see when they talk about like see when they talk about the villains he played in cinema. I don't imagine the tooth fairies coming up. Like you know, like quickly it probably should because like I say, at least the thing is, as much as I think it's like too over the top for the for the thing like that. He's he's clearly given it all his all. Like you, like you have to have commitment to put on the physique he has because that's not how that it's not how that actor is built. So he's built up for that. He's clearly like see when he's doing the exercise stuff. It does remind me of um, uh, Patrick Bateman that's played by Christian Bale, where you see him do all those exercises and you you hear the stories about yeah, well he, he worked out for a year like, to put on that physique, that bulk, and he went through the strictness so you would see all those exaggerated poses for the camera that's how he worked out and I, there's a there's a commitment to the cause that i'm like right he was you know he, he was committed to the role right he was committed to the role whether or not he's good for the role i mean that's a different question but it's just Do you remember too... in the movie chapter 21 no sorry chapter 27 is what it was i don't know that one no that's a movie for, starring jared leto as mark david chapman the killer of john lennon uh-huh um, and for that movie, he gained something like like seventy pounds. He he really bulked up in and that that not muscle in this case because he wanted to look like a. And yep. that movie barely got released. It was like a fucking tragedy. No one liked it. It was garbage. Is that a good so movie? Did, no. What's that? Is that a good movie though? No, or, it's okay. not. It's total shit. <laughs> and uh, and he just he basically almost destroyed his own body for a movie that's complete garbage. I'm just bringing that up for no reason. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> 
So something Jack about, like, Ray finds who the fuck wants that in a movie anyway. It's, it's so weird. It's so it's so, like but it's it's kind of that's the thing that confuses me about. This is the thing that confuses me about some of the casting in this movie overall. It's names, but it's not names that you would associate with. Out with Edward Norton, who's not playing the character that he's clearly been fucking hired to play. Um, like, Harvey Keitel doesn't make sense. Ralph Fiennes doesn't make sense. There are other American actors. Not that I'm trying to give American actors work here. Um, and I understand Hollywood just likes hiring an Englishman to play a villain, because they're all bastards. But, yeah. um... Like sure. it, it, there are plenty of American actors that could have carried off this role just as good as this performance, if not better. Um, that I just, I, I can feel, it's one of those like weird, like oddities for me where I'm, I just can't connect it all up. But we're talking about additional scenes, so th there is just a lot of extra lecture in this. I mean, out with the, I mean, we hit the greatest hits of Dollarhead, the the scene with, um, you know. Uh, where them you know meeting Reba, taking her out to meet the the tiger that's you know sedated, you know the the, the him watching the videos while visibly um, <laughs> visibly hard, um, and, and, you know in their kind of courtship, which is expended on a bit more than it is in the in the original movie, but like the the additional lecture stuff. So we have like the scenes feel longer, like the the dialogue feels like before it was just like little bits and clips and stuff even the way where he's like trying to get will graham's like telephone number and the details it's 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 so pantomime yeah well why yeah, don't you exactly. just get that rolodex i know right oh, it's just like, fuck off <laughs> we need more acting more <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I mean, the, what this movie really requires <laughs> is a scene where he scares a chef for some reason <laughs> <laughs> It's just, it's just, it's the, it's the bad accents and like even the Hannibal doing the bad accent. I'm like, why don't you just get that wrong? You know, be mad at So why do that accent uh, with the fact to, to remind people that you like doing accents when you met Jodie Foster? Um, I just I, like that in, when Brian Cox does it. He's just like, oh, this person doesn't know who I am. I'll just speak like I fucking speak. He speaks. Will... He speaks authoritative. Yeah, exactly. And that's all you need on the phone. <laughs> like, you don't need to be larger than life. And like, if anything, see if I'm on the phone with someone I don't know and they start putting on weird accents while they're talking to me, I'm like, fuck this guy. Like, I'm not doing what you want me to do because you're clearly not taking this call seriously, so I'm not. Wait a second. I'm not going through this Rolodex. You're Anthony Hopkins doing the funny voice, aren't you? <laughs> you got an Oscar, didn't you? You son of a bitch. You're back here to make this character feel... What, what, what did he say? He's back to, like, I only took this role to make this character feel like a villain again. Yeah, well, this scene here helped greatly. Like, standing round of applause for, for Anthony. Sir Anthony hey, look, Hopkins. We're, we're not knocking Anthony Hopkins. He's great. He he's, like, he's, like I say, it's someone wrote it on the page. Right? And he's obviously, he's in the head of the character, quote-unquote, or whatever. So, like, he's obviously thinking, I can do this acting because I did it in a previous movie. But, like, like that, the, the cock scene... It's quick, it's clinical, it's, uh, it, it moves the plot along at pace and delivers what it needs to do. The thing about it is, right, this movie here, two hours and four minutes. Manhunter is, what is it, one hour, 56 minutes? I think the director's cut version is, is just, just around the same length, almost like two hours. Yeah, yeah, or that. And I look what both movies do, and at no point when I'm watching Manhunter, I'm like, I really wish they'd put more story in here. <laughs> like, and this movie, it's like, no, every scene, like every scene has to be this massive set piece to push things along and propel how sick 
the like Dollar Hide is and how damaged Will Graham is, but we're not really going to get any like more, any great more meat cute scenes between the serial killer and that blind woman, please. That's oh, what the the crap. Yeah, we really need to we need, yeah, like we need to emphasize that he'd almost got rid of that red dragon in his brain and almost like but he couldn't. If only he could, like, but his mother's voice is in his head. Um, <laughs> I'd like more, more naked. Rob finds run about like get more of that in there. I just as 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 nauseating how tick boxy a lot of this actually is when you think yeah. about it. Like on paper, it's like we're we're good. So it's the once again coming back to the analogy that you made, which was not related to this about cover songs. <laughs> it it does kind of feel like um, if someone wanted to cover I don't know, come on Eileen for example, um, and like wait listen. No one cares about any of the stuff beforehand. They just want the do ra da do ra. We'll have to get have to nail that bit right because that's when everyone sings right. We have to get that. You know, it's it, that's kind of what this movie feels. like. It feels like someone has sat down and like that had all the like, the movie must has this 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 and this in order to go forward. And you know, what it really feels like also is like, you know, those YouTube videos where someone does a cover in the style of somebody else. Yes. It's like, what would it sound like if Metallica covered, you know, the day in the life by the Beatles? This yeah. is this is Brett Ratner doing yeah. a cover of Michael Mann in the style of Jonathan Demme. And, yeah. and I mean, that's fun as an exercise. Someone on Letterboxd described this as uh, Brett Ratner's version of Gus Van Sant's Psycho. It, it's not yeah. that as much as it is almost like a, a technical exercise. Yeah. This needs to fit into this world that already exists, but I love, and speaking from as Brett Ratner, he obviously loves Manhunter. Mm -hmm. So let me put those two things together. And of course that'll work. And it did work for people who are, I'm, I, I, I really right, made you know, an it does, to remove it does. ableist language from my fucking <laughs> vocabulary. <laughs> I'm trying to come up with a word that means, you know, fucking idiot but i can't come up with something <laughs> moron moron let's go with moron no that's one of those words too. all right i can't use that word um people that are short-sighted uh people yeah, that short-sighted people that'll be my code word <laughs> like so i remember like when i started this show way back in the day and me and my then co-host who now lives in canada he's a card-carrying citizen of canada married a beautiful woman over there and settled down in Toronto and is very happy. But like at the start when we were like, we're going to do a film podcast, we're going to do horror movies and all the rest. And we were talking about all this stuff. And we were like, basically the, the first, planned out the kind of the first year of content of the movies we were going to like discuss and all the rest. And the closest I came to saying to him, I don't think we can do a show together was over this movie, which he, oh. to this day, will still argue is a vastly superior movie to Manhunter, and he could not be any more fucking wrong if he tried. I mean, he's not alone. In but that's this there is the thing. I think of, we uh, are really like yeah. again. I, I we're having a lot of fun here. We're yeah. exaggerating a little bit. A There's little lots bit. of very sensible, smart people who think that. And even outside of the Brett Ratner aspect of it, you know, you have to accept these things on their own terms. Yeah, it's a very slick movie. It's very well 100%, made. Hundred percent. Yeah, but it's it's sucks <laughs> it, has, it does but that's like it is like you 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 nailed it i think right at the start any world where manhunter doesn't exist let's just say for example tom Manish had written the books the way he wrote them and they made silence of the lambs first and then they made hannibal after and then 
like someone in a, some studio somewhere like that, you know, we need to. We, we've got we've got Anthony Hopkins here. He's he's like he's done loads of different things, but now he's wanting that he's wanting that Hollywood money for returning to this role. Whilst we've got him here uh, in Hannibal mode, let's make Red Dragon, and then they made this movie in that world. Fine, fine, but in a world where someone has already taken the subject matter and delivered. At the time, I'd stress this as well, like 1986, serial killers were not a buzzword in 1986. Yes, they were being caught, but the understanding of the psychology and all the stuff that has basically dictated how cinema is moving on. Like, Michael Mann is almost setting out the template for the police officer who gets too close or, you know, is too involved or he's the only one that can think like the serial killer or the cat and mouse level that we get. He's setting out the template for that in, like, big Hollywood fashion. Right, and it is almost yep. it is almost from that point onwards. There are serial killer movies before then, and there are the investigative stuff before then. But Michael Mann's the guy that kind of puts it on the map, right? And then movie, and that's why, to an extent, Silence of the Lambs is such an interesting movie because it does that. But it's like it feels like an an updated and more kind of sobering view of doing that. It doesn't have the flash and the panache that man brings to it. And the, and the, you yeah, know. it's very, it's very kind of, it's funny because Michael Mann, one of his, his 80s kind of trademarks with Miami Vice and mm. even Crime Story to a certain extent is that kind of flash and that polish and yeah. all that sort of thing. But you're right. It very, Silence of the Lambs, what's great about it is that it brings it back down to earth. It, it does. It, you know, yeah. You, the, in your brain, instead of the whites and the reds, it's the browns and the yellows, that sort of thing. Right? Yeah. It, it completely removes, it changes the palette entirely and makes it, it makes it feel really dark. It's a dark movie. The score suits yeah. it. That, that, that droning score that goes through it is, is perfectly matched and all the rest. So, like, you, it kind of follows that. By the time we get to Hannibal, it's like, well, it's, it's silly. It's over the top. It's it's almost comic booky in terms of its its level, and it works because, like I said before, we're not revisiting that again. So let's yeah, let's go out with a, like a silly flash because the book is ridiculous. Absolutely, it's not as bad as Hannibal Rising, which I'm getting to next episode. You know, in terms <laughs> of just you. what the <laughs> fuck are we doing here? Like none of this makes sense. Um, I think that movie has the biggest fuck you moment of the entire franchise. I think it does. I think when he puts on the samurai mask, which resembles like the lower bit of the samurai mask, which looks like the mask that he wears in Silence of the Lambs. I, I think I mean, the camera I mean, comes I know up you're on talking, him. You're talking to me, Duncan, like I would ever watch Hannibal Rising. Have you never seen it? I, no. Right, absolutely. well, there's a scene in it where young Hannibal Lecter, who has been... <laughs> raised by his affluent Japanese aunt in Paris uh, while he's studying medicine all these words are true um, kills someone using his uncle's samurai sword and then brings up the mask like the, the you know the mask that you'd wear at the bottom of course of the, like the light yeah, brings yeah. It up and of course what does it look like oh that mask the famous Hannibal Lecter yeah, mask yeah it puts it up there and the camera lingers just a little bit as if winking to you saying you know what this looks like? Fuck that movie. Fuck it, right? I hate it. I as the worst. Mo- as, as by. Uh, I feel no- like you're giving away your thoughts on the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. I should keep it. To my, I'll edit this. I'm not. A return to form for the franchise. <laughs> Five stars. <laughs> Only thing that could have made it better is if it had that Ratner effect. And I can't even remember who directed that movie um, either. Cannot remember who did Hannibal Rising. Um, it's some other soul. I knew it was the director of the girl with the pearl earring. That's I remember. Was I can't it? remember his fucking name. Yeah. I'm surprised. Well, I don't know if it does. Uh, but yeah, like so. Alright, so the movie. Right. Here's the question I need to ask you. This is technically question three. I've asked it to everyone. 
Um, and it'll be interesting because we've kind of touched on it, but I don't know if we've touched upon it in a way which satisf satisfies the answer to my question. I've been asking everyone thus far through this is, I mean, this series is based on Hannibal Lecter, right? In right. terms of the actual character that we know based on the incarnations that we've had, um, does this one feel true to the character? Because I'm thinking about this previous Hannibal movie. I don't think he necessarily does anything here. In fact, if anything, it solidifies a lot of what he does in the Hannibal movie just by the way he acts. So, like, is the Hannibal character not like the Hannibal character that we've already grown with through the previous three movies? We, this turns into a philosophical mm. argument, which is what is a character? Is it the original source or is it what the pop culture version of that character becomes? Uh -huh. I mean, you might say that that the Mads Mikkelsen version doesn't really resemble the book version very closely oh, at all, at all yeah, right? Yeah. But I mean, that is an incredible character. And that is, to a whole generation of people right now, that is what Hannibal Lecter is. Yes. And that's, that's you know, that's all true. And one of the great things about that series is how consistent that character is all the way through it. Yeah. It's a really terrific performance. The the Brian Cox version, uh, you know, it resembles in your mind when you're now, if, if, if you were reading um, Red Dragon in 1988 or 89, you know, any year between Manhunter and before Silence of the Lambs came out, mm -hmm. in your brain, when you picture that character, you probably would picture Brian Cox if you had seen Manhunter. Mm -hmm. But it's hard now, if you were to read any of those books, and when they bring Hannibal Lecter out as a character, your brain says Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. That is, to me, who that character is always going to be because of when I was raised and when these movies came out, and because of how much focus was put on him as a character. I mean, he still feels like... Hannibal Lecter from Silence of the Lambs in this. It doesn't really come off as being such a different version of it. He's not so much more over the top that you can't connect those together. So in that sense, yeah, this is exactly as real of a version of that character as it was in Silence of the Lambs. It's just, for me, I prefer something a little bit more sedate yeah. and a little bit more true to... It's funny, you know, that we talk about the polish of Michael Mann. The, the setting and all that feels a little outside of reality. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the performances feel very grounded and feel very real. Um, and I think that that that's what I enjoy most about Brian Cox's performance. I think it's become a little bit passe for like nerds like us, Duncan nerds, <laughs> uh, to say things like, oh, Brian Cox is the only Hannibal Lecter. And yeah. there's nothing I like about Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins is fucking great. Silence of the Lambs, I think, is still better than Manhunter. I know that's my No, I'm with you on that one. No, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. After all this, I think Silence of the Lambs is one of the great movies. I think made. it's as close as I... I very seldom say a movie is a masterpiece. Silence of the Lambs is... I mean, if if, if not that, then what? In my mind, like, just every time I watch it, I just think, it's just like, a, it's a, like just across the board, just works for me on every level. But Hannibal, as a character, is as dependent on his foil as he is on just his writing, right? Yes. It has to have someone across from him that can match him in some way. Not in, mm -hmm. in like, scares or, or even in the energy... But uh, the way that William Peterson does in Manhunter works for me, and Ed Norton in this movie just doesn't. Yeah. So I mean, I think I think it's a good performance, and I think it's consistent with the character. But I would take Brian Cox ten times out of ten in terms of the Red Dragon story. Yeah, like the bit where you have in here, like, do you know why you caught me? <laughs> like, because we're the same. Like, like we we think the same. We are the same. And oh, Man Loki, Hunter. I've caught yeah. you in the Avengers fucking house. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just <laughs> yeah, like you're watching. You're watching like when you're watching Manhunter, like you can understand why like he runs down those stairs appalled. 
while he's getting all this, like, Hannibal's getting under his skin. And this one here, I'm like, this guy? <laughs> this guy's the same guy as you? Like, this is how he caught you? What? <laughs> if I was you, Hannibal, I'd feel ashamed at that right now. Um, yeah, that's like, right. This that's guy? Right. This guy is the, the fucking sweat stain guy? That's this the guy, guy? who caught you? <laughs> what? Um, right, let's, let, let's, let's swing to the final question here, which is, you're either recommending this movie <laughs> or you're not, and you have to pick a scene from it to justify your stance. I mean, I'll go first. I, I would not write. And, like, once again, in a world where Manhunter exists, watch Manhunter. Like, don't watch this movie. Um, like, in a world where you really enjoy Anthony Hopkins' performance of Hannibal Lecter and you want more of it post-Hannibal, I suppose, but it's not, it's not a movie I would actively endorse anyone to watch. The scene... And I've mentioned it already. And we said we weren't going to mention it. I'm going to mention it again. The end of this movie it irritates the ever-loving fuck at me because why anyone would want to be like, well, this case is closed, but another case is opening, dear audience. Um, I hate it. I actively hate the, oh, yes, Hannibal, there's a young woman coming to see from the FBI. I'm just like... She'd like you to join the Silence of the Lambs initiative. <laughs> 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 I hate I hate it so much I hate it so much so I would not recommend this movie and that's the scene where I'd be like that remember that masterpiece that won all those Oscars this movie at the end of it after all the trash you've consumed then just like just doubles down on the fact that the movie that comes after it chronologically speaking in this universe is Silence of the Lambs so enjoy enjoy um, what about yourself Doug are you recommending this movie or not I mean if you watch Silence of the Lambs yeah. And you watched Hannibal. You yeah. might as well watch this fucking movie, too. Mm. And if you've never seen Manhunter, then you'll probably come away with it with a very positive impression, right? It's mm -hmm. just like, hey, you know, because a lot of the dialogue is still really good. I mean, I think the writing isn't terrible all the way through. I, I think those, the, I imagine, again, it's been so long since I've read it. I imagine that the interactions between Will Graham and Hannibal Lecter, a lot of that comes right from the book. Because is, yeah, exactly yeah, verbatim, verbatim. Yeah. In Manhunter and in, uh, in Red Dragon. So you, you know, you, it's really kind of interesting to see how different actors, their take on those interactions, like that part where Will Graham says that the reason he caught him is because he had advantages because he's insane. <laughs> yeah. I, I, if you just want to crystallize in your brain why Michael Mann is Michael Mann and Brett Ratner is Brett Ratner, just the way that the, that moment hangs in both mm -hmm. of those movies to me is a really good example of yeah. it. It's not supposed to be, huh, you're insane. Boom. <laughs> 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 why is this why why do we have this lightning crashing effect behind me right now <laughs> it's like, it, it, just just like that that cop thing where he says he goes because uh you know he's god why would he want to give you know it's just like yeah. you, you don't need to linger on it it's a great line just let it live like a great line but mm. it's just brett ratner has no subtlety in anything that he does um in terms of just one scene that oh by the way no i wouldn't <laughs> recommend it to like you know a person i liked no certainly not mostly you may be like i don't like to have a caveat it's like you know you might want to check out red dragon oh, i should let you know <laughs> directed by a rapist no big deal separate the art from the artist um but um <laughs> why, why don't you finish it up uh, you know follow it up with jeepers creepers one two three and whatever oh yes yeah. so um, one of them flying around <laughs> the, 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 they're desperately trying to let you know it's got nothing to do with him as if that's going to make a blind bit of difference to me want to watch that fucking movie the picture of Victor Salvo with fucking dollar signs in his eyes. Yeah, yeah no, I'm not part of this. Yeah, one he, you know, he totally. Yeah, it's like that's not how Hollywood works, ladies and gents. <laughs> <sighs> but in terms of a scene, yeah, yes, it's the very ending. But also, it's a little bit. It's that part where Edward Norton is talking at the very end when the reveal that uh, that 
that Tooth Fairy is still alive. Yeah. And he's got his son. And he's doing that bit that we've seen in a thousand different movies where he's just like enveloping his mother and or his yeah. grandmother, I should say. And just like, you know, it, uh, you're so filthy. You pissed yourself again. <laughs> are you, all are, that are, you, are you literally saying that? Like, are you talking about the scene where he puts on Mama Voorhees' blue sweater? And I mean, then... that's it, right? That, I mean, we've seen it in a hundred different movies. And it's when in 1981, when when this book was written, I mean, it wasn't yeah. probably such a passe thing, yeah. but you got to bring something to the table. But to me, it's like, at this point, Hannibal's on the back burner. He's gone. Yeah. Now all we have is Ed Norton and Ray Fiennes crying, you know, yeah. with a, <laughs> threatening his son. To me, it, it's just so, so badly done. And yeah. so flimsy and feels so, you know, it, it just feels like something we've seen a thousand times better and they brought nothing new to it whatsoever. And this is supposed to be like really the emotional peak of this movie. It's supposed to oh, yeah. lead to everything, you know, coming to it to a head does just doesn't work. And, this is, the, this uh, is and, the payoff of Edward Norton being in this guy's head for the entire movie. Exactly. Right. And, and, but you, I just don't, don't buy it. Not one little tiny bit. No. Uh, and uh, I will say that. Uh, if I was going to recommend this movie, uh, the part where where the Tooth Fairy's gigantic house explodes, that's yeah. a really cool explosion. Mm -hmm. It explodes, though it does have that one brief instant where you see Edward Norton, he's like blue screened in front of the explosion and it looks really <laughs> bad for a second. But the explosion itself, it's a pretty cool explosion. It almost justifies the fact that he has like a $10 million property for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> This is why I'm holding on to this property because one day I'm going to fucking explode this motherfucker and the most elaborate escape ever, ever in history. Um, yeah, uh, let's let's talk grades here. It's one through five. Uh, this one gets... Um... It, it's a difficult one, right? It's difficult yeah, because it is, cause on its own merits, it's yeah. probably different than what we actually think about it. Yeah, because what I want, like what I want to come in and say is a 1.5. I want to go between I hate it because I don't hate it, right? Hate is a really like hate is a special realm of movie for me, and and it is a little bit stronger than that. It's not that I just don't like it either. It's like there's like a I'm gonna go to I'm gonna go I don't like it. I I think there's there's enough in here. Like I say, alone Philip Seymour Hoffman. That sequence is fucking incredible. Everything within it, everything with him in this, is incredible. But his come to Jesus moment with with Dollarhide. Is, is like just give me that in the movie. Just make that in the movie. Like like like, like it's it's so it's so good. And his performances. There's a there's a a great little tidbit of uh, trivia out there that Hopkins apparently on his days off, when like he like wasn't doing his stuff like that, would come to set to see Hoffman perform because he never shared a scene together. Um, so like, I mean. That's like, and he's doing the rims as well. Like, I think there was a thing that was online recently where uh, uh, Hopkins wrote to Brian Cranston because during lockdown he watched all of Breaking Bad and he was so taken by the performance that he actually wrote him a letter, basically saying this is one of the best performances I've ever seen in TV. It's incredible what you did with that thing. I love that. There's a part of me which respects actors that respect the craft, right? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. All I, I could picture though is Anthony Hopkins at craft service, just like eating a donut, it's like. <laughs> 
Yeah, that guy sure is good. He's really you know, good. He glued him. himself to that fucking chair. <laughs> did you see? Oh, wait one second. I'm not allowed to say that. <laughs> like, did you see his performance? Um, like, so, like, he is, he's the best bit. He's the best bit of this movie. And just that performance alone would probably give it the extra points to give it to that too. It's, like I said before, it's not a movie I would actively recommend to anyone to watch. Uh, what about yourself? What are you giving it, Doug? What's the, what are we out of again? It's one through five. One is hated it. Two is didn't like it. Three is liked it. Four is real. I don't even know why I'm going up as high as this. Four is really liked it. And five is loved it. What are you going to give it? And you don't ever go six stars? <laughs> I don't. I, I, I mean, I mean, if ever there was a time to change that rule, Doug, we could do it right now. <laughs> Duncan, remind me again what you gave a science crazed when we watched it. <laughs> I can't remember. I can't remember. I that was on Bo's show. Know. That's a different show. That's a Bo grade. Bo grades are different than podcasts on the um, stairs grades. I am going to give it, and it might be surprising, mm. I'm going to give it two stars. Two, right, so you're the same as me. Yeah, it's the same yeah. as you. I actually gave it two and a half on Letterboxd when I watched it yesterday, and yeah. I and I, I feel I, I still think, I still feel that's fair. To me, three stars seems ridiculous. Yeah, I two just, stars yeah. feels <laughs> just about right. The, the, the thing is, it's a, to a, to a average person, there's a, there's a good reason this movie made a lot of money, and there's a good mm-hmm. reason that it, it generally got good reviews, which is that it has the appearance of a good movie. It yeah. is, if you look at it, if you're just watching, it's like, has fucking Ed Norton and Anthony Hopkins and, you know, it, Ray Fiennes and, 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 and Emily Watson, all these tremendous actors. It's got Danny Elfman. It's got this amazing cinematographer. Mm-hmm. It looks great. It sounds great. Of course, this is a good movie. But no, this is just good <laughs> production on a good song that is being performed by the shittiest musician <laughs> I've ever fucking heard. Right. This is a bad cover version of a movie that you got. It's right there. It's just waiting for you to take it. You feel really bad about the fact that it doesn't connect. Go get some deep fake software and put fucking Anthony Hopkins face on Brian Cox and Manhunter and you're good to go because that's all you need. That is literally all you need. Yeah, estimated 80 million budget grossed uh, almost 210 million. So, yeah, I mean... If that's the metrics we're looking at, this movie was a success, Doug. Um, but it's not the metrics <laughs> I use under the stairs, so you just gonna have to deal with it. Uh, Doug Tilly, you're a busy guy. You do podcasts out there. People should check them out where you aren't on a massive hate-fueled Ratner tirade. <laughs> uh, let the listeners out there know where they can check out your stuff. You know, I'm generally very even-tempered. It's just you bring the worst out of me, Duncan. Uh, I host a podcast called Cinema Smorgasbord, which is basically an umbrella podcast for a bunch of other podcasts, including the uh, beloved Eric Roberts is the fucking man, uh, as well as podcasts devoted to Paul Bartell called Bartell Me Something Good. Uh, We have uh, Forgotten Gems about uh, lesser-known movies from film festivals, podcasts devoted to Alejandro Jodorowsky, Carol Kane, Vic Diaz, Jackie Chan. Check them all out over at cinemasmorgasbord.com or on Twitter at cinemasmorgasbord.com. That's S M O R G. You can also find me on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T I L L E Y. Thank you very much, Doug Tilly. We only have one of these movies till we go. And um, I'm just saying, Doug, you should check out Hannibal Rising so you can enjoy the review that's dropping real soon for that. Um, oh boy, Duncan, I got nothing better to watch here in October of the year 2022. <laughs> I'm going to take my final break of this episode, ladies and gents. When I come back, I'm closing out the show and I'm doing it right after this. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. And you 
been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. Ladies and gents, this has been episode 408. It's been our penultimate Hannibal Lecter Russian Roulette franchise retro. Looking at Red Dragon, huge thanks to my guest Doug Tilly. One more of these dropping. It's coming on Sunday this week. Darren Wilson, myself, looking at, dear God, what have we done to deserve this Hannibal Rising? There is a multitude of ways to check out podcasts under the stairs. Wherever you're listening to us right now, hit subscribe. That way you get the shows as and when they drop and access to the entire back catalogue of Teapots content. Please do not stop there though. Subscribe to our sister feed, the Teapots Collective, where you get shows like Where to Begin With, new episode dropping tonight, Opera Omnia, new episode dropping within a week, Doing the Nasty, new episode dropping next month, and Chronicle, new episode dropping next month. Subscribing to that feed and the podcast under the stairs feed is the best way to support what I do under the stairs. Ladies and gents, you can of course just go to our website, that's easier, tputzcast.com. Links to all the shows are there. There's another show there called Jaws' Shite and Other Regrettable Outbursts. It's a booze-based banter entertainment podcast featuring myself, The Baz and the sexy Scotland Liam from Scotland Liam vs. Evil. Jaws' Shite and Other Regrettable Outbursts is exclusively available on tputzcast.com. For those on the Facebooks that want to interact with me, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash teaputzcast gets you the podcast under the stairs. It's a fucking great group and you should be involved with it too. The Teaputz Collective is purely a page that I post absolutely every show that I'm on and that can be found at facebook.com forward slash teaputzcast. On top of that, if you like your internet weird, then Jaws' shite is for you. You need to check out facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash regrettable pod. If you want to interact with us on the twin prongs of social media sexiness, that's the Instas or the Twitters, at TputzCast is the best way to do that. You get in touch with myself and Baz both. I want to promote a guest spot that I did on the Cut to the Chase podcast. It dropped this week, so please go away and check that out. I was featured on their Night of the Demons episode. Um, They're running through the entire franchise, and I kicked it off with the OG Myself, Lacey Lou, and Dan Chase. Thank you very much for inviting me on that show. And please go and check that one out. We talked long on that episode, surprise, surprise. Uh, but it was a ton of fun. Always great spending time with them. The podcast Under the Stairs returns for you, dear listeners. Oh, so, 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 so soon. We're back tomorrow. And <laughs> tomorrow we're doing the next group of movies. It's movies 19 through 24 on our 31 of October. So until then, wherever you are, where the time zone is and whatever you're up to in this big bad world of ours, please take care of yourselves out there. This is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from under the stairs and I am signing off.